How's everybody? Good, good, good. If you just started coming in the last two weeks, you have no idea who I am. Um, if you've been here for a while, maybe you've forgotten. So uh, I do still come to church here. Um, teach occasionally now. Now, it was the first time uh, in, in almost 11 years that I've missed two weekends in a row, and it was difficult. I started to get pretty homesick after a while, but uh, Josh did a really good job two weeks ago, right? He always does good, the Josh fans. And then um, Isaac did a really good job last weekend. Very, very good. Who knew that a 16-year-old could preach so well, right? I mean, <laughs> that was mean. Um, so I have a fun story for you. Uh, so I was in, in Uganda, and it was the first time I got to do this. I've been to Uganda uh, a lot of times, and, um, but it's the first time I've gotten to do this. So where we stay in Uganda, we have a house there. Our, our church rents a house there. It's right on Lake Victoria, or close to Lake Victoria, a couple of blocks. And uh, it's the biggest lake in the continent of Africa. I think it's the third largest lake in the world. But um, there's these islands in the middle of Lake Victoria, and you can hop on a boat, and you can go out boat maybe holds 25 people, and it's not like a fancy boat here. It's boat like you have to be scooping out water because, you know, water's getting in the boat. So rickety old boat, UB, I said. Anyways, um, so we're going out on this boat, about three or four hour boat ride out to these little islands, and we go out there, and on these islands, um, you know, they have, uh, they have homes and they have little marketplaces and stuff like that, but um, on these islands, most of them have never seen white people before, and the kids get kind of spooked out by you, and, and um, so I've never seen white people before, and, and what you'll do is you'll go out there, and we'll evangelize, we'll go kind of house to house, which is pretty good distance from each other, and have a translator with you, and then after you do that for a couple hours, you'll eat lunch, they'll go catch some fish, and like cook them up right in front of you, and it's kind of cool, I saw monkeys, and you can just pick like mangoes from trees, it's pretty neat, but sitting there having lunch. And um, on this island, just like they do in the mainland, they have what they call boda bodas, which are little 125cc motorcycles and they're taxis. People just zip all around on these bikes all the time. And so it costs about a quarter American to ride one of these and they'll take you anywhere you want to go. So I walked up to one of these guys and uh, I said, hey, I want to take your, your bike out, your boda boda. And he said, oh, a thousand shillings, hop on. I'll take you wherever you want to go. And I was like, no, I, I want to take your bike out. Like, you wait here, and I want to, like, I, I want to go. And he just kind of looked at me, and I gave him 5,000 shillings, which is like a buck 50, right? I said, here you go. And he took it, gave me the keys, and uh, I darted off on this bike. So um, I'm on these dirt roads in the middle of an island where they've never seen white people, let alone a white guy blazing by on a boda boda. <laughs> and um, so everyone's staring at me and looking, and kids are just kind of following me, and going as fast as I can down these dirt roads. It was pretty sweet. And if you're a motorcycle person here, everything on these bikes is opposite. So that takes a little bit of getting used to. So everything's different. And, um, but I'm going as fast as I can because, you know, whatever. And um, so I finally get to this little village and I turn around and the clutch is really weak on this bike and it, so it stalls out on me, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to find neutral on this bike where everything is opposite. I'm going down and going up and going down and I just cannot find neutral to start this bike back up. So in the middle of this like marketplace, these mud huts and, and, and they have bricks there, but you make your own bricks, right? And so these little brick houses and stuff. And all of a sudden a couple of guys come out and they're like, hey, Mazunga, which means white guy, uh, Mazunga, and they let me help you find neutral. And they're trying to help me find it. They couldn't find it couple more guys come out. So I got about six or seven dudes around me all trying to find neutral on this bike. And all of a sudden kids are like popping up from around the corners, like looking at me and 
all these women come out of their, their huts and their little places of business. And by the time it's done, there's about 100 people in this village <laughs> just staring at me. And uh, I finally find neutral, kickstart this bike, rev it up, you know, it's 120, zing, 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 and I'm revving it up. And all the people in this village just start cheering. I mean, they're like, yeah, they're cheering. So I just lifted my hand, took off. And, uh, and I'd like to think there's a legend of the, of the, the Mazunga on the, on the Boda Boda that showed up one day. It was like the Old West or something, right? Um, anyways, that's what I did. Hope you guys had a good week, so. Uh, <laughs> We've been working on the book of Ecclesiastes. In all seriousness, um, Isaac did a phenomenal job. I watched his sermon live. I was at JFK Airport in New York City and watched it. And, and um, he tackled some pretty tough stuff. And uh, it was a very, very good lesson. And he talked about something that's very hard for, I think, a lot of us, that God is our ultimate authority. Now, I, we say that sometimes, but we often look to politicians or we look to economic systems or we look to celebrities or whatever it may be and uh, we forget that God is the authority above all of those things as well. Now, what we're going to talk about today, we're in chapter 9 of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to talk about a lid, that basically all of us have a plateau that we're going to reach. We have this cap. All of us on our own are only going to get so far. And it is through Jesus, it is through salvation that that lid is removed. And all things are possible when we're with God, right? That not only can we be saved, but our marriages, our relationships, everything we do can be better if we will just lean into God. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Now, if you have a Bible, um, we're in the Old Testament, right after the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, written by a guy named Solomon, the richest, most powerful, wisest man of his time, and looked back on his life and kind of realized he had squandered everything he had. Um, if you have a Bible, we're in the Old Testament. If you came in, you should have gotten a note sheet. If you didn't, if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, click on service time, sermon notes, you got everything there. So we should be in pretty good shape, okay? So I'm going to pray. We'll dive into chapter 9 and um, see where God takes us. Uh, in all seriousness, guys, I'm so happy to be home. It's good to see you, and, and uh, we're very blessed. I'll, I'll tell you because I have unlimited time at the 11. Uh, as I, was, as I was sitting in New York City watching Isaac, there was, um, I was very, very proud of our church because I had Isaac teaching here, I had Josh teaching in Woodbury, now we have Dave teaching in College Grove, and um, we have a really, really good church with some really, really good leaders. I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about these other people, and I was just very, very proud, and um, thank you guys for supporting us the way you do. You're a great church, and, and um, just thank you. So, good to be here. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into this. Lord... God, we love you. Uh, we thank you. God, we really do love this church, and I know that you love this church. And God, I pray that you bless our church today. Keep your hand on us, Lord. Father, Lord, not just our church. We pray that you bless every, uh, every church in our city, every church in our county, God, all the churches that we work with in, in the Northeast, all the churches that we work with overseas. God, we pray for blessings over the great nonprofits that we partner with. And Lord, I pray that that us in here this morning, Lord, that everything we read and study and talk about, we pray that it honors you, and we pray that your word sharpens us and uh, just cuts right to the core of us, God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is Solomon speaking. This first part's a, a little long, so bear with me, okay? Solomon says, indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. 
The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good and for the bad, for the clean and the unclean, for the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice. As it is for the good, it is also for the sinner. As it is for the one that takes an oath, so also for the one who fears an oath. This is an evil that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. In addition, the hearts of people are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and then, and then they go to the dead. But there is hope for whoever is joined with all the living, since a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything. There is no longer a reward for them, because the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already disappeared, and there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun." Now, the first thing that captures my attention when I read this is it says that the righteous and the good, everything they do is in God's hands. Now, in our life, we have a lot of questions. There's a lot of uncertainties. There's a lot of things we don't know, but that's not the case for God. God is not shocked or surprised by anything because God knows everything. Now, there's some Christians who believe in something that's called open theism, now, what open theism is, is it's this idea that God chooses to be ignorant and not know some things. And I don't believe that to be the case. I don't think the Bible teaches us that uh, at all. So if we can agree in here, if you are a Christian, if you're not, bear, bear with me. If you are a Christian in here, I, if we can all agree that God is an all-knowing God, that demands a certain response to him. If he knows all things, we should respect that. If he knows all things, we should trust in him because he knows everything that's going to take place. That's a pretty simple concept. Now, though we can be uncertain about a lot of things, though we can have a lot of questions about a lot of things, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian in this room, I think all of us in this room can agree and we can be certain of one thing, we're all gonna die. No one lives in this life forever. And we can't predict the good and the bad in our life. We can try to prepare for it, but we can't predict it. Solomon says you can't predict love, you can't predict hate, but it is certain all of us are one day going to die. So what Solomon says is this. He says if we can all agree that we're all going to die one day, it would be madness, it would be insanity to not think about what is beyond this life. It would be crazy, laughable to live this life knowing you're going to die, but never thinking about what comes after this life. Let me tell you an interesting story. So I'm walking around in Uganda in these different villages way out in the sticks, and I'm walking with my translator, a guy named George. He's 38 years old. He's a couple years younger than me. He planted a church on the other side of the Nile River, and I really, really like this guy. We're kind of in the same season of life. His church is about six years old. This one's about 11 years old, and we're just talking. As we have time in between, we visit people's homes. And one of the things George asked me, he goes, Corey, Pastor, they, they, they don't just call you by your first name. Pastor Corey, Pastor Corey, what is the largest demographic of people that are growing in the United States, religious people? Because in Africa, it's always a toss-up between Christianity and, and Islam. And I said, well, George, the fastest growing religious group in the United States is actually non-religious. They're called 
nons, right? They're, they're non-believers. They're atheists. They don't believe in any God. I kid you not, George buckled over in laughter, buckled over, holding his stomach, laughing. He thought I was telling him a joke. And I said, no, I'm being, I'm being serious. That's the, 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 the fastest growing group of people in the United States is people that don't believe in a God. He thought that was hilarious because the scripture says only a fool would say there's nothing. Only a fool would, wouldn't believe that there's nothing after this life. And Solomon says it here, it is madness to not question what happens after this life. He also says it's better to be alive than dead. Well, I mean, that's pretty common sense, right? He means it in two ways. He means literally it's better to be alive than dead. And it's better to be alive spiritually than dead spiritually. The reason why it's good to be alive is because while you're alive, you still have a chance to change. That you can assess your life, you can think about the fact that you're not always going to live forever, and you can change your behaviors. You can ask God for forgiveness, you can live differently, and, and you, can, you can do things the right way. If you're dead, you don't have that option. You're still going to be judged, just like all the living people are going to be judged by God, but if you're already dead, there's no time to change the way that you did things. What this means is, if you're alive right now, which I hope everyone in this room is, if you're alive right now, we have to take this life seriously. We have to live this life on purpose. Life is too short and it's too precious for us to live it accidentally or to live it haphazardly. So we have to do it on purpose. We have to take this seriously. Now listen, just because you're in this room and there's blood in your veins and breath in your lungs, you could still be dead as a doornail. There's a lot of people walking around right now who are breathing, there's blood going through their veins, but because they don't know Christ, they're spiritually dead. They have no idea what life really is. And so not just is it an advantage to be literally alive, it is an advantage to be figuratively alive, spiritually alive. And I very rarely mark up the Bible that I read you guys on the weekend, but I highlighted this because I thought it was very provocative. Solomon says, a live dog is better than a dead lion. Now, what does that mean? This is very important. It means better to be alive in Christ, but be nothing on this earth, than be everything on this earth and dead in Christ. Better to be, uh, uh, better to be a, a live dog, right? The lowest of the low, than it is to be a dead lion, the best of the best in this earth, right? Very, very wise words. Solomon says, go eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and never let oil be lacking from your head. Enjoy life with your wife that you love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun, all your fleeting days. For that is your portion in life and in your struggle under the sun. What Solomon is essentially saying here is, God can give you contentment and joy in whatever you do. He alludes to the fact that when God is the center of our lives, even things that seem boring to most people, eating, drinking, even marriage sometimes has become mundane to people, your work, even though these may seem mundane to a lot of people, but if God is the center of our existence, we can even find joy in those things. We can find contentment and fulfillment in those things. Now listen, 
if we're going to make God the center of our life, we have to do a couple of things. One, we have to pray. If God is going to be the center of our life, we have to have a prayer life. If God is going to be the center of our life, we have to read the word of God. If God is going to be the center of our life, we have to be in a community with other people in which God is the center of their lives. We often say that God is the center of our lives, but when we really look at it, he's not. And that's why so many Christians have such a hard time finding contentment in their day-to-day lives, is God is really not the center. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Well, Corey, I know a lot of happy people that aren't Christians. I, I would challenge you on that. When a lot of people seem to be happy, it's usually because they're so distracted that they never think about the big questions. This is the reason why everywhere you go, people are busy, right? People hate to be alone, constantly on something, watching something. We're usually watching something while we're on this and we have headphones in. We're doing six different things at a time because we're terrified to be still. We're terrified to be quiet because if we're quiet and if we're still, we start thinking about the really big things in this life. And when we start thinking about the really big things in this life, the really small things that we think give us happiness really don't. So whenever people say you can be happy without God, no, you can be distracted without God. You can be busy without God. But I think at the core of it, if we really start asking the big questions, if we take away the distractions and we talk about the afterlife, we talk about accountability, we talk about the fact that one day we may be judged by an eternal God, I think the small petty things of this life do become fleeting and there's not contentment and joy there. So Solomon also briefly mentions marriage. I'm gonna take a detour here for a second because marriage is something that's falling apart in our society. I've had so many people in the last 11 years come into my office and they'll tell me about their marriage and they'll say that, well, over time we just grew apart. That's not biblically supported. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but Solomon says, enjoy your wife all the days of your fleeting life. That means as time goes on, your marriage should be getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So whenever people say, well, we just grew apart, it's not God's fault, it's not the church's fault, it's not marriage's fault, it's your fault. Over time, you have to work at this relationship thing. You have to pour into each other, and you should be grafting closer and tighter together over time. The problem is, though, is we become selfish. We become lazy. We forget that relationships take work. They take dedication. And so, so many times, people come in and say, we just grew apart. It's the best thing for us. God wants it. Nope, not biblically supported. That is not what the Bible supports. The Bible supports that relationships should get tighter over time, not fractured and moved apart from each other. Now, that's not to say that Christians don't struggle. Listen, if you ever go to a church and they tell you that if you become a Christian, everything gets easy, make sure your wallet's still in your back pocket, right? Because that's probably what they're going for. So just because we become followers of God does not mean that life is easy. Life is fulfilling. We can find joy in even the most mundane things, but we're not impervious from bad things happening. And the Bible nowhere sugarcoats this, right? The followers of Jesus Christ, the, the, the 12 disciples, one turned his back on Jesus and hung himself. One was boiled alive and thrown on an island, that was John, and he eventually died of natural causes after being boiled alive. The other 10 
were hacked to death, speared to death, crucified upside down, their heads cut off. All kinds of terrible things happened to them. Because when people followed Jesus, Jesus said, following me means picking up a cross. A cross is not like a fun thing to hang out with, right? It's terrible. It's brutal at times. So Jesus never sugarcoated following him. He says, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. People may even hate you for this, but it's going to be good in the end. It's going to be fulfilling. It will make you a better person. And here's the other thing. Jesus said, in this life, there will be suffering, but he also said, take heart. I've already overcome this world, right? So the world is broken now, but one day Christ will come back and he will set everything straight. So the point of this section is this. Life is fleeting. Life is short, so you have to pay attention. We must live life on purpose. There's so many people who are just waiting for life to happen to them. They're just waiting for things to fall in their lap, and they're just kind of cruising through, and that is not how we're to live. We're to live this life intentionally. We're to live this life on purpose, not haphazardly, not careless, because it is short. It is precious. That means we have to lean on God. We need God's wisdom. We need God's help. We need his support. We need him to be with us because life is short, okay? All right, next part. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your strength because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Again, I saw everything under the sun, that the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong or the bread to the wise or the riches to the discerning or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to all of them. For certainly no one knows his time, like fish caught in a cruel net or like birds caught in a trap. So people are trapped in an evil time and it suddenly falls on them. What, this, the, the, what, what verse 10 is saying is something that is extremely pivotal in my life. I use this scripture all the time. I use it with my girls. I use it with myself. I use it with this church. Verse 10 says that wise people that follow God will do the best they can at whatever they do. With my girls, I tell both my girls, who are both extremely bright, very smart girls, but I tell both of them, I was like, guys, if, if a C is the best you can do in school, your mom and I are completely content with a C. If that's the best you can do. But if the best you can do is an A, I expect an A, right? Whatever you do, whether it be basketball or ballet or music lessons or school or whether it be your job or wherever it is, wherever God has landed you at the moment, we are called to do the best we can to honor him. Now, though we are to work hard, Though we're to have a strong work ethic, the Christian also remembers that everything good we have is ultimately because God has provided it. And so here's the thing about hard work. Paul talked about this. Hard work honors God because we're working unto him. And hard work is a good witness for Christianity. What that means is this. If you go to MTSU and you're always late to your economics class, if you always turn your papers in late in your English class, if you're always falling behind because you're lazy, people are gonna know that you're a Christian and it's not a good example of Christ. It's not what God wants you to do. Do your best. 
at your work, if you're the one showing up late for meetings, if you're not getting your projects done, if you have a bad attitude, if you're known as the lazy one at your office that skips out a couple of hours early, that's not good for us. It doesn't just hurt your reputation because you're a believer and in the family of God like I am, it hurts my reputation too and I don't like it. Christians are not called to be lazy, ever. We are called to work hard in whatever we do. We are to do it to the very best of our abilities. Now we need to be careful with this because if we go too far, we become workaholics and that's wrong too. The Bible commands us to work hard, but listen, the God, it, God commands us and instructs us also to take rest. It's one of the 10 commandments, right? A Sabbath, a rest time. Because if we become workaholics, if we don't find balance, our relationships not only suffer, they're gonna fall apart. Now, everyone needs to take a good look at this because this is gonna be the hardest thing that you're going to apply in this whole entire lesson. All of us have to find balance and we can only do this with work and we can do this with the help of God. But in this room, all of us need to find time to balance our work, which means men, sometimes you gotta put all the stuff on your desk, shut the laptop, go home and be dad. Go home and be husband. Some of you ladies, you need to shut the laptop, you need to leave stuff at work, you need to go home and be mom. You need to be wife, right? You need to balance that work time. We need to learn to balance family time. In my opinion, all of you once a week should get together with your family, put away the phones, put away all the distractions, hang out. I recommend you eat dinner together as much as you possibly can, right? Hang out with each other, talk with each other. Intentionally make that family time. You need marriage time. That means you need to go on dates. Listen, you need to go to like Ruth's Chris every single Friday, no one can afford that, right? but you need to hang out with your spouse. Do you know what I've seen in all my years of, of counseling married couples? What'll happen is this, and the intentions aren't bad, but it ends up being bad. The mom will pour all of her time and energy into her children. The dad will pour all of his time and energy into his job so he can provide for his family. And what happens is, is when those kids grow up and move out of the house, this couple looks at each other and they say, who the heck are you, right? We haven't slept together in seven years. We haven't hung out in eight years. We haven't done any of these things. And then their marriage falls apart. You have to have that time if you're in here and you're married. You have to have that intentional time with your spouse. We all need alone time, guys. Even Jesus needed alone time. Even Jesus got sick of people. <laughs> he created people and he even got tired of them. That's why he always had a boat waiting for him, right? <laughs> He'd go out and minister to a bunch of people, and he's like, you guys got the boat, let's get on the boat. Sometimes he didn't even wait for the boat. He'd just walk on the water, right? There was a time Jesus even called a woman a snake because she wouldn't let him be alone, right? Snake, I want to be alone. You know, he just, he wanted to be alone sometimes. Now, we're the same way. Sometimes we just need to be alone. And again, that doesn't mean alone on Facebook for six hours, like... Sometimes you just need to be quiet. Go for a drive. Go drive a bucket of balls at Go USA. Do something, right? Just to have that alone time. And then most importantly, guys, you need God time. I dare say you need that every single day. Every day when I get here at the church, and I'm not perfect, sometimes I get busy, but I'm in my office for 30 minutes, which is not a ton of time. I read for 15 minutes, I pray for 15 minutes. That's how I start my day. 
We all need that alone time with God. Now, that is very difficult to do, but we need to work on that. You either need to put that in your phone or you ladies that have to write everything down in those books, whatever those are, whatever you have to do, (laughs) you need to make that time. But what we've done in our culture is we believe faster and more is always better. And that's not always true. Solomon said that people are trapped in an evil time, and if they're not careful, everything suddenly falls on them. What happens is, is when we become selfish with our, with our time, when we lack time management, when we're constantly busy, when we're constantly reckless with our time, one day we're going to look and our wife's going to be walking out the door. One day we're going to look and our kids have grown wild. One day we're going to look and our relationship with God is non-existent. If we're not careful, everything that is truly important is going to implode upon us if we do not use our time wisely. Okay, last part. I have observed everything. Uh, I have observed that this is also wisdom under the sun, and it is significant to me. There was a small city with a few men in it. A great king came to visit, or a, a great king came against it, surrounded it, and built a large siege works against it. Now a poor wise man was found in the city, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered the poor man. And I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much good. Now, I love the story that Solomon says. It's very simple, it's very short. Solomon says there was a city and an enemy nation came against the city, but there was a poor man, he wasn't rich, He wasn't influential. He probably wasn't that good looking. He wasn't popular, didn't have a lot of Instagram followers. But this guy had wisdom and he went to the head of the government, shared his wisdom and the wisdom saved the city. The sad part is, is no one cared that it came from this poor guy because he wasn't cool, right? He wasn't popular, he wasn't rich, he wasn't attractive. So they're glad their city was saved, but they didn't really care about this poor wise man. What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is that what the world values is crazy. It's cruel. And even now, right, because people haven't changed much, we don't value humility. We don't value wisdom. We don't value the people who've been married to the same woman for 40 years and never cheated on her. We don't value people like that. We elevate people who are arrogant. And we elevate people who are careless. So I'm 40 years old. I got one foot in the grave. I remember when I was younger, when Tupac got killed, right? Those of you older hip-hop cats in here, right? I remember when Tupac got killed. And after Tupac got shot, he is dead. He's not in Hawaii or, you know. I remember when he got shot, everyone was like, man, Tupac, what a great guy. We love Tupac. Let's memorialize Tupac. They still do. At Coachella in California, they had the 3D hologram of Tupac. And everyone's like, Tupac, right? It's a hologram of, everyone memorializes Tupac. Now, if you're old enough to remember Tupac, he wasn't a good dude, right? It's a reason why he got shot. 
he ran with a bunch of thugs and he sang about a bunch of really bad stuff and like he wasn't a good dude. Didn't hang out with good dudes and that's why he got killed. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but it's just the truth. But every generation does this, right? The newest one, we're just gonna go there. And again, I'm old, now I'm gonna sound old. This generation's was Tentacion, right? This young hip hop artist who got shot in his car when he was 20 years old and everyone elevated him and all oh, this young man, he was a good young man, got arrested for beating his pregnant girlfriend, would beat women all the time, would spit on people and urinate on people and the guy lived this horrible life and look, I'm, I'm sorry that he had the upbringing he did but we take these people, we elevate them, put them in front of our children and then wonder why the heck we keep going down the same road. Because we live in a culture that doesn't honor wisdom and integrity and good things. We live in a culture that elevates people that are actually not the best example. We've been doing it for 3,000 years and we'll continue to do it until Christ comes back, right? This is what we do. But God's economy doesn't work like this. It's not the way God works. If God was like, if, if, if life was a dodgeball tournament, God would choose the little squirrely kid in the back, right? God loves the underdog. Paul says this, that God not only uses the weak, he honors the weak. Our God is the kind of God that when there's a giant who's talking smack about his people, he doesn't pick like the tall, athletic, good-looking guy. He says, hey, give me the little punk kid in the back that hangs out with the sheep. I'm gonna use that guy to kill that giant. Not only that, I'm gonna make him the greatest king that's ever lived. That's how God works. When God needed several million of his people to come out of Egypt and slavery, he didn't pick someone that had done everything right and looked the part. He picked a guy who had committed murder and couldn't even speak right. He had a stutter. And he said, I'm gonna pick Moses and he's gonna lead the biggest exodus that's ever happened. He's also gonna write the first five books of the Bible. We'll just throw that in there. This is what God does. Jesus even says that the last will be first. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth and they will be blessed. Even Christ himself came as the underdog. He didn't come as this powerful, dressed in bling, born in the nicest home savior. He was born in a barn. He was a carpenter and he did masonry work. Everyone thought his mom had had sex out of wedlock and they thought he was a bastard child. That's how God came. That's how Jesus came into the world. And what we see is the example of Jesus Christ has always worked and the example of the world has always failed. Yet we continue to run back to the same things, don't we? The Bible says we run back like dogs to their vomit. That's what we do. And we keep running back to a system that does not work. And our problem is, is that we find hope in the wrong sources. Solomon, he ends with these two proverbs. The first one says, calm words of the wise are effective, but shouts of a ruler over fools brings destruction. Now, if we believe that to be true, right? Calm words of the wise are effective, but shouts of someone who leads a bunch of idiots is not effective. If we believe that to be true, why do we pick the influencers that we have in our society? Well, I don't know how to vote. How's George Clooney vote? And I'll do that, right? Go home and look at the top 10 influencers on Instagram. Look at who is leading thought in our nation right now. Nothing against her, but Selena Gomez is like number three, right? I don't know how to live. What's Selena Gomez doing? Oh, there it is, right? And that's what we do. 
And it's fascinating to me. We have access to the church. We have access to the word of God. We have access to God himself. Yet we continue to let the idiotic shouts of the world tell us how to live. It tells us how to dress, tells us what to watch, tells us how we should speak. We call ourselves followers of Jesus, but we don't know anything about this book, but we know everything about that celebrity from that TV show. We're not followers of Jesus, we're followers of these superstars. We let the shouts of people over fools run our lives more than we do the word of God and God himself. Let's just keep going further, right? Let's just keep going there. I don't feel like I've offended everyone yet, so let's keep going. <laughs> Solomon also says the wisdom is better than the weapons of war and that one sinner can destroy much good. So if wisdom in the word of God is better than weapons of war, why do so many of you find all your comfort in that thing that's on your hip right now? Listen, I got nothing against the second amendment. It got real quiet, didn't it? I got nothing against the second amendment, but if you're four foot five and you hang your, your, your gun on the outside of your basketball shorts at Kroger, you're an idiot, right? <laughs> Sorry if you do that, but I'm trying to save your life here. But a lot of Christians find more comfort in that thing right there than they find in that word. They do. I had a guy one time, I said something like this a couple of years ago. I kid you not. I was walking up the stage. This guy ran at me stopped me and he said, Corey, Satan is trying to take my guns from me and you're helping him. I said two things. I said, that's insane. <laughs> and then I said, Satan doesn't need your guns. He already has your idolatrous heart. Listen, we find more comfort in politicians. Let me tell you something. I could get up here and teach the most blatant heresy that anyone has ever spoken and I won't get one email about it. But if we get up here and criticize the U.S. government while Republicans in office, I'll get 12. Do you want to know why? Because you know more about the Republican Party than you know about the book that God wrote. You know more about your political party than you do about the Word of God. Now listen, I got nothing against Republicans. I got nothing against Democrats. I got nothing against the Second Amendment. I got nothing against Fox News. Nothing against CNN. But if that is your source of hope, that has become an idol. And though those things may not be evil per se, when you put them above God, they are exceptionally evil. Exceptionally evil. And I know that hurts some of your feelings, and I know that some of you think I'm a communist straight from Russia, right? <laughs> but my hope is not found in a man. It's not found in a woman. It's not found in a firearm or a political party. My hope is found in Jesus Christ, the only thing that can save me. Now listen, before you take me out of context, again, I don't have anything wrong with any of these things. But when we elevate them to a certain level, listen, all they're going to do is disappoint you. And I'm gonna tell you why. Not because I have anything against any of those things. Because with mankind, there is always a cap. There is only so much, even the best president, best leader, best laws, governments, economics, whatever the case may be, even at their best, there is only so far they can take humanity. There was a guy in 1969, his name was Lawrence J. Peter. He wrote a book called The Peter Principle. Whenever I finish my next book, I'm gonna call it The Corey Principle because I just think it's super arrogant, right? But anyways... <laughs> He wrote this book called The Peter Principle. Now, this is a book on business. 
And the whole premise of this book, The Peter Principle, was Lawrence J. Peter said, it doesn't matter how talented you are, listen, doesn't matter how attractive you are, doesn't matter how educated you are, doesn't matter how hard you work, every single human will reach a ceiling, a cap. Now, why is that relevant to us talking today? If we put our hope in mankind, even the best of mankind, there is always a cap. There's always a ceiling. So in other words, what the Peter principle is, is that everyone in this room, regardless of how smart you are, talented, attractive, whatever the case may be, we will all reach a plateau where we cannot go any higher. Now again, how does that translate to our conversation today? Well, one day, Jesus' disciples were walking with him, and they looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, who can be saved? Who can be elevated to the place where God is? Who can live in God's kingdom forever? Who can be redeemed? Who can be free? Who can have limited potential and possibility because they're with God forever? Who can be saved? Now look at what Jesus said. He said the Peter principle 2,000 years before Lawrence J. Peter wrote it. Jesus said, with man, it is impossible to be saved. It's nothing against our president. It's nothing against the laws of the United States. It's nothing against CNN or Fox or anyone else. But Jesus himself said, if mankind is your hope for freedom and salvation, it's impossible. Mankind can never save mankind. But look what he says. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. The only pathway, the only way that the cap can be lifted is through God. The only way for humanity to reach its full potential, the only way for humanity to live in eternity with God is we must be saved, not by ourselves, but saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that's not just lifting the lid on our eternity. Listen, this is where the rubber meets the road. Some of you in this room have been capped. Your marriage has plateaued. Your work environment has plateaued. You are discontent. You are confused. You have reached the pinnacle, the peak, the top of what you can do. But... Though with mankind it is impossible to be saved, with God, God removes the lid on your marriage. God removes the lid on your contentment and your joy. God removes the lid on how well you can lead your children. God removes the lid of fulfillment and purpose and identity that with God, even in the most mundane things, we can have vitality. We can have life. With man, that's impossible. You're going to reach a cap. But with God, all things are possible. I can find fulfillment in my daily life. In our marriages, in our relationships, with mankind, there's only so much we can do. But if we invite God into our marriage, he lifts the cap. And our marriages can be strong even until the day we die that we can continue to grow closer to our mate. Without God, we can be intelligent. We may even have some level of wisdom, but we're capped. But with God, he gives us the gift of wisdom. And with him, all things are possible. 
that we can have wisdom. But do you know what Jesus said in the Gospels? He says, listen, I know you need food. I know you need clothes. I know you need a job. I know you need all these things. But Jesus said, you have to seek first the kingdom of God. If that cap, the Peter principle, if that plateau, that cap, that lid is only, if it's ever going to be removed, the only one that can open up all possibilities for your life and for your eternity, for your children, for your marriage, for your relationships, for your neighborhoods, for your schools, for your work environment, the only one that can save and redeem those things is Jesus. Do you know what I'm learning the older I get? A couple of things. The first thing I'm learning the older I get is I don't know as much as I thought I did. The older I get and the more I get into this word, the more finite that I realize I am. I am so small. The other thing I've realized the older I get, listen, is I am utterly dependent on God for everything. Without him, it all falls apart. I remember praying not too long ago in my office, and I'm sorry for the, my tacky language, but I was talking to God, and I literally said to him, God, without you, I am so screwed. I am. My marriage will fall apart without you. This church would definitely fall apart if I didn't have you in my life. My kids would, would run amok. I wouldn't have any good friendships. Everything would crumble. So what I've learned the older I get is, is I have to hang on to him with all my strength and I have to lean into him. Almost like if you're dead weight, right? All my weight is on him because I know that on my own legs I can't stand. With, with my own arms I can't hold the weight of this life. I just can't. So I'm rambling on right now to maybe hopefully hit a nerve with some of you. Some of you have hit your ceiling. I've had enough. I can't do it. I've reached my end. I'm at the end of my rope. And if in that moment, listen, if in that moment when you hit that ceiling, if you would just say, God, please take this. God, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to give this to you. God will take that and he will do things with you and your relationships and your family and your work he will do things with you that you would never think were possible. But with God, all things are possible. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, if you're in this room this morning, a um, couple of different things. One, up here to my right, your left. Pastor Mike is up here to my right, your left. I'm not trying to puff him up or make him feel uncomfortable, but he has a master's degree in divinity. He's a very smart man. If you are in this room and maybe you do not have a relationship with God, maybe you're curious, maybe you're interested, but you're not, you're not sold yet. If you would, you don't need to be embarrassed. You don't need to feel out of pocket. Mike would love to talk with you. Come up here and just talk to Mike. He's not intimidated. He's not gonna be caught off guard by your questions. He may wanna get a cup of coffee with you or plan a meeting, but please come up here and talk to Mike. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, anything, financial needs or health needs or family needs, whatever it is, please let a brother or sister just, just pray for you. 
The last thing, guys, is we have communion all the way around this room. That is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's a representation of the fact that Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins. The fact that God would send his only son tells us that God wants to do whatever he can to save us, to lift that lid, to lift that cap so we can be everything that he wants us to be. Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you've asked God to forgive you of your sins. Father, Lord, I love this church. God, I love this church. I pray that you keep your hand on us, God, until we meet again, until we come back together. I pray that you bless the marriages in this room. I pray that you bless the families in this room. I pray that you bless the single people in this room, the young people in this room, the old people in this room. I pray, God, that whatever ceiling we've hit, whatever cap we've reached, that we would just lean on you, God. I mean, just put all of it on you, God. That we would just be desperate for your help. And Father, with, with ourselves, we can never be saved. But with you, God, all things, all things, all things, all things are possible. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you and we lean on you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.